Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome back to another episode of the Comic Hero Field Report. The Comic Hero Field Report is a member of the Believe Podcast family. That's why on your favorite podcast platform, Believe in the Comedy Hero Field Report. Um, and this is episode 118. And um, I don't know if we have ads this week. Uh, well, I will find out in my email later, but mainly I have believe in the copy of your report still as the name of the podcast, even though I didn't intend that because some we get ads sometimes. Um, well, I feel like this week's guest is uh, not only uh, a great rising star in the LA comedy scene, but their name fits quite well as a pun for our uh, podcast network, um, which I'll explain later. Please give it up for Max Beasley, everybody. All right. Yeah. I do think Bleavely would be a better podcast network than name, than Believe. It's not the greatest, but it's better. Now, what what is the story with this Believe thing? What is that? I feel like it's just part of that wave of tech names that want to be short and misspell an actual word in English so they can get easily higher ranked on Google. So is believe then supposed to be believe? I think so because the, this, the founder CEO's name is not anywhere close to that. What if it was short for blue lives instead? What would you do? Um, I, I would make sure to like find a different organization that was about crisis intervention every episode to donate to. Crisis inter, that could be crint. There could be a podcast network called crint. Crint, crint. That it, it hits, it hits the ear a little weird, but it is alluring in a way. I like it. It's got a hard T. Hard T is always good. Yeah, RT is always good. How uh, what what's going on for you these days, Max? Well, I just got back from Denver. I cool. did a few shows there. It was Pride uh, there, and mm-hmm. did a couple gay shows, and mm-hmm. um, that what, was a lot was, of fun. What was gay about them? Well, they were at gay venues cool. and with gay comedians and hosts right. and gay audience. And uh, I'll be honest, I I wish I could do that all the time. It was way better than 90% of shows. I don't know why. Right. You don't know why? Well, I mean, what was better in the experience of it? I mean, I I assume that you crushed. I did very well. It was a very supportive, open crowd, and they were cool with all of my new stuff about my own identity and... um, Mm -hmm. The, it was nice to have lineups that was made up of mostly or all queer or female comedians because right. that is a rarity. Um, right. I, I did one show that had three trans women on it, which I've never seen before. And I thought that that really showed that that's possible to book. Were you like one that, of the three? I was. Oh, great. I, I also wonder, okay, was it, would you say it's a diversely queer audience that you perform for? Um, well, Denver is very white, so it was right. all white people. But Well, yeah, there's that part of it. But I, you know, I asked that because I've been to like shows, like gay shows, but it's all like cis gay men. Sure. And right. that is its own flavor of comedy that is uh still very like male very aggressive it's true yeah i I think the crowds were pretty diverse there were lesbians and gay men and um i met a very nice young trans woman at one of the shows who who liked what i did uh it's just cool getting to perform for that type of audience and feel really supported and 
it's cool to see that there's sort of a little queer scene thriving in the Denver scene because when I started there mm-hmm. in 2014, that really wasn't a thing. Right. So it was it was just uh, the Grolix and Josh Blue. So the Grolix and Josh Blue were already sort of on their way out when I right. started. Um, the the top guys for me, like my mentor was Sam Talent. Yeah. And those guys, the the fine gents. And um, you know, there was like Stephen AJ and Sharpentier um, was part of the fine gents. Sharpentier was part of them. Yeah. Um Mara Wiles, Jordan Dahl, mm-hmm. that sort of crew was they were sort of the next up when I started eight years ago. And then a few years later, that was sort of, I guess, around now, that would be sort of like me and the people I came up with. And um, I, I moved to L.A., I think, sooner than anyone expected me to. But I'm glad I did. Why do you say sooner than anyone expected? You? Well, I so I started in 2014 and I moved in 2018. Mm-hmm. So I had only been doing it four years and I was. I was 18 when I started and I was 22 when I moved. So I was very young right. and green. And um, I don't think I was, you know, when, when guys like Steve AJ or Brent Gill or Chris Sharpentier moved out here or Jordan Dahl, they were all headliner quality comedians. Right. And I think only in the last, you know, year have I gotten to be like a, a great feature level right. comedian so how how humble of you even though i feel like and i would be curious if you feel any of this is like there's a lot of talk about you max as of late i don't i haven't heard it <laughs> you have you haven't i don't well, think it's so. happening the what streets are, they are, are talking about Who? max who's talking i mean i'm talking <laughs> well that's very sweet of you jake you you are very kind and you've been very supportive and i appreciate it uh i'm also not the only one i mean you know so for the actually before we get into uh, go any further uh, for those who don't know because it is relatively new if especially people don't know you tell people about your where you are with your identity how you got there uh both in life and in comedy Sure. So um, I came out a couple months ago as being a trans woman. I was born a, a white male and now I'm a white trans female. Um, I had known for a couple of years, a few years for sure, but ever since I was a kid, I had inklings, but I I held off on coming out. I came out kind of late. I'm 26 now, um, which seems late to come out. But, um, you know, there were circumstances like my younger brother is trans, a trans male. And part of me didn't want to come out because I didn't want to overshadow him or take away from him or Uh, I also felt a measure of guilt being the second trans person in my family for my parents and thinking about, I mean, they're cool with it, but still, you know, um, so, so there was a lot of stuff with that. And also like in, in my current relationship, like my partner is openly bi and uh, I knew that I would be safe in my relationship. If I came out, they would, stay with me and so I just had to feel comfortable and safe and I had to get over my own insecurities and hesitancy about it if that makes sense absolutely it does and also in terms of comedy um Mm -hmm. I didn't want to come out and I didn't want it to change my comedy I didn't want to get treated differently or get uh, viewed in a more positive light or get booked more. I wanted people to just think I was funny. I didn't want my identity to right. have an impact on anything. Um, right. 
I, I mean, I will say that it has, but not in a way where it's sort of this like, you know, it's almost like a credit that you would use in your intro. It's just, I feel like right. you found yourself more and in you finding yourself more and finding your voice more, there's a, there's a more clear sense of like what your sense of humor is. And you're just, I feel like becoming more self-actualized as a comedian. I appreciate it. I think also the stuff I've been able to write about it has been some of my best work. And I, I, I would concur. I, would I concur. feel like that is part of it. Um, I, I think anytime you have a big life event and you're able to write about it. Right. You know, I think of like Tig with her cancer thing. Right. Or things of that nature where like the person was already funny and good, mm -hmm. but they were able to tap into a sort of deeper or more personal well and yeah. it ended up being what got them notice which feels gross to say and I don't want again I don't want that to be the thing where it's like oh you know Max is talking about trans stuff so let's all pay attention but if, right. if I'm able to turn it into jokes that make people laugh and out of the people I've met who are going through similar things, it's resonated with them. So that feels good. Right. But I, I think that's, it's interesting how that sort of informs your specific take on it. And that like, you know, that you very ironically say when you start talking about trans identity on stage, you, you're like, oh, I'm going to do brave comedy. <laughs> right. <You're> like <laughs> fucking stupid. Yeah, well, I, I want to subvert people's expectations of what queer comedy is right now because I think and not to take away from anybody but I think some people lean into it as being sort of a political thing which makes sense and you know but I think people do sometimes not just with queer stuff but with anything make it into what I'm saying is important and you need to listen and you need to clap for me. And it turns into not being about jokes and laughter. And it turns into being you making points like you're giving a speech or a Ted talk, which I, that's the last thing I would ever want to do. I just want to make people laugh. So I try to subvert it off the top by saying, you know, I'm not going to be funny tonight. I'm going to be brave and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, and then follow that up by just doing really dumb jokes about it. Right. I, would you be up for doing a TED Talk if you were allowed to do the dumbest TED Talk possible? Yeah, if I could do a TED Talk that was <laughs> me <laughs> being the character that I do on stage, I would do that. Yeah. Because <laughs> I definitely do, there's something else that I don't know if a lot of people know or get it's hard with me because I, uh, I'm hard to read sometimes, but I do do a character on stage. It's not right. me up there. Right. Well, really. yeah, because you have like one inflection of your voice and it, you have a very like deliberate pacing. It's yeah, I, I have a different diction and pace and delivery. And also a lot of the stuff I'm joking about, the, the way I... I approach it as if like the dumbest person alive thinks that they understand everything sort of like a Beavis and Butthead thing like I just watched a clip from the new Beavis and Butthead movie where they learn about white privilege right and they're like oh yeah we totally got it but then they just walk around using their white privilege because they learned <laughs> about it they just do insane shit because they can get away with it now right 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 so it's like taking a piece of information and like fundamentally misunderstanding right. the information I think is where a lot of my comedy comes from. Right. Absolutely. And I think you do a great job with that. That said, I, I think it's also interesting that a lot of what you do comedically doesn't really wheel or deal with the truth per se. Right. Yeah. Um, and then when you talk about trans identity, you kind of have to shift gears like, how did you navigate right. that or, like, consider that? It's true. It is weird because 
depending on if I open with the trance chunk or flows with it, it is a very bifurcated set where half of it, I'm telling really dumb jokes about lost bird signs and R. Kelly. And, you got and then I have to shift into talking about myself and all of my jokes about the trans stuff come from a place of truth, but then I twist it through the lens of the character I'm doing on stage into what they would think about it. Mm -hmm. um, it is a hard thing. It was a hard, it's a hard thing for me to, I'm still navigating it. It's still new material, but that shift is definitely jarring, can be jarring. And right. I'm trying to figure out the best way to incorporate it with my existing material. Right. Cause it is, I mean, I'm still doing my style of joke, Absolutely but you are. Yeah. it's a little, it's a little different because it's, it's real and it's about myself, which is something that I never really did before on stage. I sort of did more of a Mitch Hedberg thing where I'm just talking about observations that this character I'm doing has. Right. I'll say, I feel like I've brought this up on the pod before, but I feel like there's a real deep misunderstanding of the notion of being genuine on stage with oh yeah like a lot of people equate that to just being like um like brutally and unfiltered in their honesty right and i feel like people who are absurdist can be genuine too like if you ever hang out with brent weinbach you'll learn right that he's really that weird but he's also very genuine he's absolutely genuine i would say the same yeah. with like josh fadum and whatnot and like right. i feel like the character you have on stage ironically like it, it's like drenched in irony is like a genuine expression of yourself. It, I, it is. I mean, I only write stuff that I think obviously. So even if what the character thinks I know inherently is, is wrong, mm -hmm. it, it's still something that makes sense to me. Right. And I think that is a way that you can sort of um, weave in and out of, like actual bits of truth because like i probably brought this up on the pod too i remember i i remember a story like josh fadum did a storytelling show once and josh is a guy mm -hmm. who like he used to open with two minutes of pratfalls yeah and then do an impression of Werner herzog pitching a reality show yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah i love josh that, he's great yeah. He's that guy, but I remember him telling a story and it's like, well, and every bit of it was true, which is so out of character for him, but it still was very much Josh. Um, he right. basically was staring at an Arrowhead water jug and he was like, I wonder if I could just like drink the whole thing. Yeah, right. And then he did. And, you know, for those who don't know, that's essentially drowning yourself. That's and a he, lot of water. Yeah, and he like called 911 and he was kind of doing this like, you know, I have a friend that may or may not have not have drunk like a jug of Arrowhead. Is that, is that bad? Is oh that... my God. Yeah. And they're like, would you like us to send an ambulance? And he's like, no, but like, am I going to die? <laughs> well, it's funny because usually if you ingest poison, you drink water to flush your system. But if you poison yourself with water. What do you do? Do you eat a bunch of food? I, I mean, they, I think they have to pump your stomach, Max. Right. Yeah, of course. I know. I Again, I, I, yeah, I understand that there's probably a science to it, but right. I like taking the absurd approach to things. And sure. Um, yeah. I mean, this is like the thing I have to navigate if I ever do improv with people is I always have a natural instinct to like end the scene as quickly as possible. Well, that's the other thing, too, is I feel like a lot of people have an instinct to trust what somebody is saying. Right. And for me, I a lot of the time will say something the same, whether mm -hmm. I'm doing a bit or not. And a lot of the time people will have a hard time knowing if I'm doing a bit or not. Yeah. So I'll be I'll be completely genuine with somebody and they'll think I'm doing a bit mm -hmm. or I'll be doing a bit with somebody and they'll think I'm completely genuine. It's it sucks it's a curse but it works for my comedy so right 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 
Well, yeah, because I mean, you have, uh, well, while, you know, we did say that you have a different delivery, different diction. I mean, there is something convincing about how you talk in general and that there, there isn't a lot of <laughs> animation to it generally. Right. Yeah, yeah. I know. I, that's the other thing is I hate being so deadpan and monotone but there's not much i can do about that <laughs> i just imagine you hire, hiring a vocal coach who's like right you to just like be more colorful yeah i mean it's not like i saw steven Wright and i'm like i'm gonna do that this is right. just how i am right and i'm sure that's steven Wright too like he right exactly imagined like he was gonna be that He's just trying to talk and everybody's like, oh, you're so deadpan and monotone. He's like, no, this is just my speaking voice. I'm just trying to talk. Yeah. Just like, I'm sure Martin Short actually talks like Martin Short. I don't know. I think he's full of shit. Yeah? Oh, you think think he talks like Jiminy? You think he talks like Jiminy Glick in real life? No, I think he's a regular person who acts insane. (laughs) I feel like, all right, if that's true, I'm open to this idea. I, he's just been overcompensating so long that it's now his personality. Right, exactly. Yeah, exactly. When you wear a mask for so long, the mask becomes you. Yeah. I learned that from the Jim Carrey movie, The Mask. Yes. And uh, the fake psychologist played by Ben Stein wrote that book about masks. Oh, yeah, I forgot Ben Stein was in that. What was the deal with him? Why did he get so popular? Talk about a, a deadpan, monotone guy. Yeah, he had a game show that he hosted called Win Ben Stein's Money. Remember that? Right. Yeah, I, I do. Where did he get all that money from? I, Comedy Central. Oh, okay. And I, I thought did he... find it funny that, like, basically that show made it, on its surface, just made it seem like, Ben Stein's so smart because he's deadpan and wears like a suit and tie. Right. Well, that's that's an interesting point because I think maybe I do sort of subconsciously give off an air of knowing what I'm talking about, which is why when I talk about the dumbest shit imaginable <laughs> on stage, it works is because yeah. I'm doing it with a sense of authority. Right. Um, that's kind of like my whole thing that I'm trying to do is like, just say the dumbest, most wrong observations with the sense of confidence and authority. Right. Right. I think is very funny. The contrast of that is, I feel like is, is like just a sort of golden comedy formula. Like I was at um, stand up and clown last night at the Elysian and that's a show that technically is a, clown show but not really um so they have it's a show that forces stand-ups to do this live directed performance by a guy named chad damiani who's very very funny yeah and they're directed to perform this sort of um what i like to think of as like postmodern ideal of clown right And, and but the the show ends up being chad roasting everybody so viciously the whole time like interesting like like he's on roast battle just for the entire show and because in him roasting people he tries to build himself up and the art of clown up as this like super self-serious um art form that should be so respected and so misunderstood and then everybody who performs does the dumbest shit possible and he's doing a bit or he believes he's doing it he's doing a bit because like the contrast of him sounding so erudite right and then people just being idiots is so right yeah it's the best that's the best thing like the best type of character is like a spongebob or a you know the dude from the big lebowski it's like these people who don't have the self-awareness to realize that they're idiots they're right. so confident in who they are. Yeah. Like seeing, though <laughs> like seeing complete... SpongeBob on inside the actor studio. Yeah, exactly. Just like so confident in being who you are and not having the self-awareness to realize that you're a complete imbecile. <laughs> yeah. It's funny to me. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely it is.
Um, so we like at this point. Well, I was I was gonna say that like this because of all of what we just talked about. I mean, the streets are talking, and like we had I, I, <laughs> the I, streets are talking. Yeah, I mean, get used to it, pal. It'll happen. No, it's just funny to think of like the street, like just saying the streets. Like you mean. Uh, uh, a white person who comes from generational wealth outside of the Lyric Hyperion. You don't mean uh, an actual person on the street. Right. right. <laughs> I mean, who's to say? I mean, I say in jest, but also like I'm around enough where I do overhear people talking about other people's sets or like, like oh, did, were you at this show where this happened? And that's yeah, I, I love to hear it. Yeah, yeah. And that I mean, like you know, uh, people to, like I and I, 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 we, and by we I mean me and Paul Provenza and Babs Roman had Max on this very exclusive backyard show that also doubled as a panel that was like a live in person version of the Green Room with Paul Provenza mm-hmm. and Max like crushed with a bunch of people who were like 60 70 year old hippies yeah there's a lot of old rich white people which is not usually my audience but they were great yeah i feel like i I walked in and i thought we were doing like a human auction (laughs) yeah yeah a little bit felt a little bit like a scene from a jordan peele movie Uh uh-huh uh i didn't know if they were gonna like place bids on me during my set right right but no everybody was super nice and that was really fun and uh Mm. i i it was nice to have guy brainham there i had never met him but i respected him and he he was a very nice person to have there as sort of a a queer guiding light and uh support for feeling out of place and in an interesting situation that i hadn't been in a lot which is You know, that that crowd is not the crowd that I hang out in. No, no, no. Although they uh, loved you. They very Yeah, right. I know. I was surprised. I mean, you never know. You'll go into a crowd and you'll think it you got it in the bag and you'll eat shit. And then you'll perform for a bunch of people you're really nervous about performing in front of and they'll they'll love it. You never know. You really, truly never know. Um, unless you play a recovery room and you've been told by the booker that you have to work clean and then you see nobody works clean and that's what works. And then you right, of course. To be clean and then you eat shit. If you can do clean comedy, my hat's off to you. It's really hard. It's one of the hardest things you can do in comedy. Right. And if you're someone who just happens to do that, I I totally empathize with the idea of like when you get labeled a clean comedian, you're like, well, I'm not trying to be. It's just right. I'm not I mean, dirty. The people who do try to be clean comics or only do clean comedy are psychopaths. Yeah. You know, interestingly, when I, I was told this uh, a while ago, when Daniel Tosh moved to L.A., he was the cleanest comedian when he started right well it's like bob saget having to be you know america's dad and then went the total opposite direction right right opposite i mean almost the exact opposite polar opposite but um if you really want to be america's dad you would be shitty and dirty because that's what dads are like yeah more like uh all in the family right is that Archie Bunker? Yeah. Yeah, that guy was mean, right? Yeah. And like he was racist. And, yeah. Yeah. And that's yeah, like, exactly. That's more like what America's dad is, just like a mean racist boomer mm-hmm. who says shit that makes you uncomfortable. Right. I was almost <laughs> nervous to 
so like I told you off pod that I got my first byline in the LA Times in print, which is like huge. Yeah, it's crazy. Congrats. Yeah, thank you. Uh, it was for an article about comedians reacting to Roe v. Wade being overturned. Right. And I hesitated to send it to my, my dad is pro-life. Uh-huh. And my mom, I love my mom's stance on abortion because she does think it's murder. However, she thinks uh, women should choose. Interesting. So she's pro-murder. Yeah, which is very metal. I think. That's cool. Yeah. No, uh, yeah, I don't know. This whole Roe v. Wade thing, man, it's so insane. It's just yes. like, I don't have an original take on it, but... Mm-hmm. Not that you need one. No. It's like... Just, like, obviously, what you're doing is killing something that will be a baby. Obviously, no one wants to do that. But if someone chooses to do that because they need to, like, why is that your problem they're not murdering you that's all i'll say right right and i'm, I'm sure you, eventually <laughs> if you want to you'll twist it into a great absurdist joke uh i don't know some stuff i don't really want to joke about because that's fair you know i don't want i never set out to try to offend anybody mm-hmm. and i never set out to shock right um but you don't have that. I feel like there are some comics who have this. Um, they chase this idea of like, oh, there's something controversial or something fucked up. Right. Try right. to joke about it. They don't even. It's not that there is anything that's inciting them that, uh, that it is inherently funny. Right. Want to try to make it funny. Yeah, I know. And I think a lot of the time that stuff really just comes off as being like shock value. I was talking about this other night, a lot of new comics and some experienced professional comics Mm -hmm. just try to shock and offend right? because it guarantees a reaction. Mm -hmm. And when you just tell a joke where you're trying to get people to laugh, Mm -hmm. there is no guaranteed reaction. So I almost feel like going for the shock or the offensiveness is almost like a safety net it's like the right. easy way out because you know you're gonna elicit something from the crowd what do you so given that you you have a penchant for one-liners and you appreciate writing a lot uh in somebody's stand-up what is your thoughts slash take on anthony jeselnik i mean he's not really for me sure. but i can see why people like him but yeah. i you know, I know comics like him who are really great writers, but a lot of their jokes uh, veer really dark and sort of myopic. And that's not really my speed. Right. But he, I mean, he's very much know. playing a character on stage to an extent. Sure. Sure. Yeah. You know, and I respect what he does, but. I don't know. Some stuff just, you know, comedy is subjective. Some stuff I don't find that funny. Like, sure. um, you know, dead babies and all that. It's a little extreme for my taste. Yeah. I mean, I think there is, oh, Malcolm Gladwell calls it, I think, the satire paradox. Okay. Uh, of, I mean, like, you know, people like, Colbert when he did the Colbert report that had this problem of like it was so drenched in irony that some people didn't even see it and they just thought right and I feel like sometimes with Jesselnick taking on this sort of wrestling heel character for so long and so ardently some I mean he's been vocal about how he hates a lot of his fans right right and that's a situation I never want to find myself in Mm -hmm. I don't want to attract people who agree with the wrong things that I'm saying. The type of audience that mm-hmm. I try to cultivate is people who understand yeah. that what I'm saying is stupid and not accurate. And when I, when I say wrong, I don't mean offensive. I just mean like a guy who thinks that bottom surgery is just getting his dick cut off 
or right, right. Uh, you know a guy who um, thinks that a bumper sticker that says my child has four paws means that there's a human baby with four paws right right that's sort of being wrong and instead of like wrong like oh that's so wrong that you said that that's not really my mo but you just, that's like, just literally factually wrong right exactly factually incorrect but yeah. without being offensive if that makes sense even i mean talking about the roe v wade stuff like that that four pause joke has an abortion punchline where it's like you should have aborted that thing right that's a monstrosity and i even didn't do that uh since the roe v wade thing because i don't even want to talk about abortion because it's Mm -hmm. you know i think it is really sensitive for a lot of people and i'm not like one of those people who's like the pc police or whatever but I do believe that like there there's a time and place to make jokes and like maybe the day after Roe v. Wade being overturned is not the best time to make an abortion joke yeah. <laughs> in my opinion from uh, maybe your perspective because I mean I did hear great jokes from cis women who like they're sure. the most directly uh, right. threatened yeah right of course I mean from my perspective that's not the right time to make a joke about it. of course you know I could see a woman make who's personally affected by it making a joke about it but for you know a male open mic comedian or even for me as like a trans woman like I'm not really personally affected by it so I feel like it's not really my place to comment on at present moment right right but that's just my thoughts on it yeah I mean you know I it it is I mean, I, you know, everyone has a different idea of what comedy's purpose and intention is and what they want to espouse with their comedy. And the thing is, all of it's valid. Like people, some people think of like their philosopher kings or they're speaking truth to power. I think you've made it very clear that you side with just jokes. Like it's all about Yeah, I don't, I don't really dig on the philosopher stuff. Just be a philosopher. Yeah. Well, Well, like if you... You know, if you're going to be that, Max. Right, I know. But if you're going to be that, just be that. If you want to give a TED Talk, just do that. If you want to be political, just do that. Like, Mm -hmm. comedy to me is about making people laugh. And I feel like it's sort of been twisted into this, like, whoever has the stage and the microphone has the voice and the power to, you know. But I don't, to me, I just, when I see comedy, I don't view the audience as being separate from the person on stage. I view it as a collective experience where we're all trying to laugh at the same thing. Not one guy is higher up than everybody else and and is telling everybody what to think. Right. So is there something in your brain where when you're like coming up with material uh, like, oh, this has to be apolitically stupid in a way that isn't gonna be misinterpreted because I feel like at a certain point there's no you just can't control that anymore sure I I guess I just don't write a bunch about um political hot topics right um and even if I write a joke that has to do with any of that stuff I try to really make the punchline of the joke me as opposed to anybody else I never want the punchline of the joke to reflect on anybody except for my stupidity there's one joke I can think of where I say R. Kelly was in a band called the Black Eyed Peas Mm -hmm. that I don't know who the target of that joke I guess it's R. Kelly but that's okay because he's a monster right But also the joke is just that I came up with a really stupid turn of phrase wordplay. Right. I'm not making a joke about black people or society or class or anything, you know? Right. And I think that is very clear, but when you try, I feel like if you're trying to sort of academically explain how that's not about 
black people in a way that extends across your whole material uh, yeah i feel it's more of like a case-by-case -case basis I, I think but of course if i'm ever to tell a joke like that and a black person came up to me after and was like hey that wasn't cool i'd be like yeah of course you're right i'm sorry i'll mm. stop doing the joke you know yeah. i only do jokes like that if the people that could be affected by it think it's funny sure you know yeah i would what I, what sort of person would come in i because i mean i don't think that they're as to you know the, there's probably a little bit of debate you could have as to the target of that joke but i don't think it goes hard on anybody no no but i'm just saying like yeah. if ever a joke of mine someone did come up to me and was like hey mm -hmm. that wasn't cool mm -hmm. you know i would listen to that because i don't know the right. the people that could potentially be affected by the joke are the ones that know right and i feel like there's this sort of indignation some comics have against that where they're like i don't care if this offends you i think it's funny mm -hmm. but i feel like that's antithetical to comedy because if you're alienating people you're doing the opposite of what a comedian's job is which is to unite people sure. in laughter rather than alienate people into factions of you know some people are hurt and some people think it's funny and mm -hmm. And them thinking it's funny makes it more hurtful. And right. What do you, you know? what would you say when it comes to you switching gears and talking about trans issues where you're expressing more of yourself a little bit? Well, I guess I try to just talk about myself and not trans people as a whole. I'm right. not trying to represent the trans community. I'm just trying to represent myself and nothing that I say is meant to reflect on trans people, but rather just myself. Yeah. And um, I feel like something I see a lot that bothers me is comedians lumping all transgender people together into right. one thing, mm -hmm. which doesn't make any sense. No. Um, but I mean, even in the last week, I went to an open mic in Denver mm -hmm. and I saw somebody tell a joke where the punchline was about a transgender. Like when people say a transgender or transgenders, that's mm -hmm. just lumping everybody into the same group. Right. Like just, just say a transgender person or, you know, like, do you, does that make sense? Like yeah. when people refer to trans people as like this transgender or, um, you know, I was talking with a transgender mm -hmm. that takes like the humanity out of it. It just yes. like makes you into whatever your identity is, which yeah, isn't literally how people takes work. Out, yeah. It literally takes the person out of it. Right. Exactly. So that bothers me. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and that that sort of feeds into I, I what I find is such a weird dynamic. There's like, you know, people like Chappelle. Not that you need to talk about that if you don't want. They think they think of and Gervais and a lot of other older yeah. comics think of like trans issues more as like the sacred cow rather than like actual people. Yeah, it's just like politicized and like identity to me is separate from politics in that sense. Of course, there's politics involved when it comes to having rights mm -hmm. and being seen as equal in our government. Mm -hmm. But when you're just talking about people, mm -hmm. there's nothing inherently political in that to me. Right. Mm -hmm. but, but these comics that you mentioned are making it a political issue when it really isn't one right it, it's just confusing to me i don't really get it i mean i think you know if a comic was talking about black people in the way that Chappelle is talking about trans people it would mm -hmm. be a problem oh yeah and i think he would think it was a problem yeah so i don't see how it's different yeah um it's not and there i 
dare I say, is uh, just a lot of stubbornness on their part, and they don't want to admit that they're right, wrong. right. Yeah. Or they, or they honestly don't think they're wrong, which is even worse. Oh yeah. You know, I don't, I don't think he thinks he's wrong. I think he thinks he's right. Right. I mean, we, yeah, it's the weird thing. Well, Gervais absolutely thinks he's right. I don't know that that guy likes ever admitting that he's wrong. Right. Chappelle keeps espousing this idea that he wants to have an open conversation on his terms, of course. But there's no such thing as an open conversation when you're doing stand-up because one person has a stage and a microphone and the rest of the people don't. Yeah. If, if you wanted, like, a, a good example of having a conversation mm-hmm. in stand-up would be Gerard Carmichael's last special. Yeah. Where he allowed the audience to sort of participate a little yeah. bit. Yeah. That is like a round table almost mm-hmm. of this is an open forum. If you have a question, throw it out. Right. But Chappelle's not doing that. He's not fielding questions or concerns from the audience. No. You know. No. Absolutely not. I mean, a sort of interesting medium between that is Joel Kim Booster's last special, which also deals with a lot with identity, identity politics, and like what your responsibility as a marginalized group or a member of a marginalized group with a platform could be. And like he stops several times his specials and actually checks in with audience members and what they like specifically a cis straight white man. And like, so these jokes weren't for you. Do you feel alienated? And right. And that was intriguing. And also Joel, Joel mentioned at other parts where gay people would DM him or email him saying that he's like a bad role model mm. for the gay community, which is like, that's where it's, it's a, I feel like it's a little bit more of a gray area in terms of like whether you should push back. Right? So if you're, you're living your truth comedically and that happens to be a more sort of like honest expression of who you are, Who's an audience to say that that's wrong? Right. Yeah, it is an interesting conversation. I I don't know. I mean, if I ever was to have a platform of that scale and people felt like I was misrepresenting the trans community, I would feel bad. But I am really working hard to just represent myself and make it clear that none of what I'm saying is representative of anybody else except for me. Right. And counterintuitively a little bit, that is kind of why representation matters to let people know very truly and very deeply that not like none of these identities are a monolith. Right. Exactly. Uh, Representation means that you're hearing if you hear 10 different queer people talk about something, they're all gonna have unique viewpoints and personalities that feed into the same thing, but they represent 10 different things Mm -hmm. for that thing. I don't represent the same thing to trans people as any other trans person does. We all are just bringing our own experience to the table and it's feeding into the collective knowledge of what that experience is like in a diverse way. It's not, there's no, there's no one person that's alike, no matter what group or race or orientation you're in. So I don't think any one person should be the figurehead for any one, you know, uh, group. It doesn't make sense to me. No. And if you watch Max's comedy versus Ian Harvey versus Girl God or Jay McBride or Robin Tran or Nori Reed, you realize they're so vastly different, all of them. Yeah. I really love Robin and Girl God. And I'm friendly with Robin, but I really want to be friends with girl god i think in terms of trans stuff mm-hmm. but also just in terms of comedy mm-hmm. they're really leading the way on that i think it's very cool i really respect them and look up to them and uh if anybody i i i, I know them both 
very marginally, but mm-hmm. if anybody can get me in a room with those two, I would love that. That would be one of my first asks if I ever had a manager or anything like that is get, get me in a room with those two. I think that they are really what is next. Right. In my opinion. I, uh, I'll try. I mean, I know both of them <laughs> probably a better than you. Uh, I mean, Grace used to do this insane show that was entirely illegal. Uh, out, not outside yeah. of someone else's house, not even her yeah. house. Mm-hmm. It was at midnight in Highland Park in somebody's backyard. Yeah, oh, that's dope. And Merry Goodnight. And it was so fun. I was like, how the hell are they getting away with this? Are they not using PA? I, I had Grace on one of my shows in Denver. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was before uh, she blew up or anything. But right. even then, I could see that she was so funny. And yeah, I don't know. You just you brought up the name. And that's somebody that I really right now respect and admire and follow in comedy yeah if you don't if you don't already follow grace freud on twitter and you happen to still be on twitter follow at grace g freud yeah for sure she's great want to do some comedy news max yeah let's do it okay I feel like we have to start because with he with sort of sad news because it's breaking, like it literally happened today. But uh, yeah, comedian Nick Nemiroff uh, sadly passed away at the age of thirty-two. Uh, Nick moved from Canada to LA uh, for a brief time, and I think he moved back to Canada uh, a few years ago. Nick was a very innovative, sweet, uh, extremely clever comedian, often uh, delving into one-liners. And when I, I wrote a little thing today to say he's one of the few people that was faithfully keeping that, um, carrying that torch. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, it, it, I, it's one of these cases, it's so sad because it felt like there was so much more for him to do and um that we could have seen so much more i mean this whole time i've just wanted to talk about him yeah um, please share yeah nick was one of my favorite people in comedy and also as a person i had the pleasure and honor of being friends with him um, when i moved out here he was one of the first people that I met and became friends with. And then I saw his comedy and I feel like he was probably the closest person to my sensibility that there was. And I think that, you know, I, I was certainly not at his level, but I was lumped in with him and um, for him to think that I was funny and was just so huge and I thought he was like the funniest and then on top of that um, just the nicest guy and so genuine and sweet and supportive and I only knew from my experience with him that that was the case but um, my partner Maddie Collins who's also a very funny comic said that it was the same experience for her and that he was one of the first people she met in comedy that really gave her the time of day. And he, he wasn't, he wasn't like a lot of people out here who only gravitate to people who think can further their careers. He, he treated everybody like a peer and a person. And um, I mean, he has some of my favorite jokes of all time and, um, I, I really think he is one of the funniest people I've ever known. Um, one of my favorite people, for sure. I have been really devastated the last day or so. I, I mean, obviously, we weren't best friends, but 
he was one of my friends that I considered dear and I'm glad that I got to hang out with him and do shows with him and make him laugh and talk and um <laughs> pitch doing a show with him right. called high and low uh-huh. because I kind of do a loud thing and and he's very quiet in terms of delivery on stage I thought it'd be funny for us to right do a show together with that um <laughs> yeah no um yeah I, I love Nick and I am really heartbroken. I just before hopping on this pod was texting with Sam Talon about him because he also loved him and respected him and loved his comedy. And if you know Sam, you know that there's very few people he feels that way about. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Lo- love Nick. And if you don't know his stuff, check it out and my main plug for today's podcast would be to buy his album um the pursuit of comedy's ruined my life and listen to it and donate to planned parenthood in his honor and um as uh, yeah. that that's the wishes of his family right yeah that's yeah that's what they said they wanted so yeah it is uh his album is it was a debut album and I remember I think Nick just sent it to me directly not not even one of his reps and I had seen Nick around the scene I think I saw Nick go up for the first time at Good Heroin mm-hmm. and it was he was so fun and it's interesting you mentioned high and low because seeing Nick at Good Heroin I mean Dave Ross is in the best way loud he is right. loud right um, yeah, and just kind of setting audio expectations for the audience uh, with that voice makes it. I mean, I mean, Nick's delivery is unlike anybody ever. It's yeah. so genius and unique, and um, I really do feel like not to put myself on his level at all, but I really do feel like we were two sides of a coin in terms of sensibility and right. joke writing and the type of stuff that made us laugh and. Um, did you see him more as like a mentor or like a contemporary? Well, it's funny. I didn't even realize he was 32. I thought he was my age. Um, I, I have that a lot with com- comics, but because um, I'm 26, but, and I was, when I was hanging out and knowing him, I was like 22, 23. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I saw him as a, I saw him as a, both a peer, but also a guiding light and an inspiration and somebody who was doing the kind of stuff that I wanted to do, but didn't have the, the talent or capability of doing. Um, he was really something else. It, it's funny, like, yeah, it's, there's, there's no one else like him. He's irreplaceable. I don't know anybody else that can fill that hole. It, it really is a huge, huge bummer. Huge, huge bummer. And a year where we've already lost a lot of big name comics. And Nick wasn't perhaps as big as like Bob Saget or Louis Anderson. Um, or, um, oh God, there's a third one that big one that I can't think of off the top of my head but um I think it's it's uh, an unfortunate passing is again like we don't even know what he would have ended up doing or he I mean he was not his debut album was nominated for a freaking Juno award yeah, absolutely um and but American audiences unfortunately don't care about that you know right I I was happy to see today that Deadline wrote a piece about him. Yeah, there's um, actually a lot of news outlets. Deadline, I think NBC News, I saw one. Hopefully that'll get more eyes on his stuff because I really think, 
honestly, I'm not just saying this because he died, but he was definitely in the top three or five funniest comics that I have ever known. And I have known probably 10,000 comics. Right. Um, I mean, it's it's similar in the sort of out of nowhereness, and people were like, oh no, like they there was so much they had to look forward to in comedy. I don't know, was Angelo Bowers before your time? Yeah, but I've heard the name. Yeah, Angelo passed, uh, unfortunately, through a tragic drunk driving accident, like somebody hit them. Oh, wow. Yeah, and like, I remember, it, maybe just a week before, I saw him at the Pleasure Chest for that show that they do every once in a while called Performance Anxiety, and Sarah yeah. Silverman dropped in, and I saw Sarah watch his set yeah. And say who is that? I need to find out who that is. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, it really feels stupid to for me to self promote or do my own comedy or anything right now because mm-hmm. he, you know, with Nick, like I, I just want. I literally, I have a show tomorrow night, and I literally just wanted to like go on stage and play his album into Hell the yeah. microphone for 10 minutes and then get <laughs> off stage. Like, that would that be a loving real, That was a real thought that I had. Um, right. You know, I, yeah, it's, yeah, there's think, not much more to say, but. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you're up for it, I think you should do that. That could be very fun because the jokes are great, you know? Yeah, yeah, they yeah. are. And uh, I could never, I could never, that's the thing about Nick is you could never deliver any of his jokes. Mm-hmm. You could never say them to somebody and convey it because his delivery and personality on stage was so unique. It was mm-hmm. so much a part of it right. on his Conan set when he talks about the school shooting mm-hmm. joke. You literally think for a second that he is really going through something. Like right. the emotion on his face and he looks like he's about to cry and he's talking like he's about to cry and it's so genuine and sold so well mm-hmm. to just such a dumb punchline. It's so <laughs> like, so genius and uh you can't replicate it Mm -hmm. yeah i could never like if i wanted to do one of his jokes as a tribute i never could i would literally have to play the audio of it for people to hear i mean i think that's like a kind of a fitting tribute you know don't even bother trying to like do like a cover per per se yeah you couldn't uh, so go listen to The Pursuit of Comedy it Has Ruined My Life, uh, available wherever you get comedy albums. And uh, donate to Planned Parenthood as the wishes of his family rather than uh, buy flowers. Um, and yeah, go down a YouTube rabbit hole. There's plenty of clips of Nick uh, mm-hmm. being great all around, including that Conan set. Mm-hmm. Um, I... I want to touch maybe on just one more item of news before we go. Yeah. Uh, it's a weird, I mean, you know, I think it kind of counts because in some ways, a lot of people think of Howard Stern as a comedian, even though he's been a radio personality first and foremost uh, as like his career. But as of the overturn of Roe v. Wade, uh, Howard Stern has announced that he had interest in running for president um, especially if Trump runs in 2024. And um, yeah, I don't know if, that, if that's a good thing. I don't feel great about that. No, I don't think you should. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's my hot take. <laughs> <laughs> I think that sounds bad. I think yeah. we shouldn't do that. Yeah, I just don't... because Zelensky worked out for Ukraine doesn't mean we should have a comedian president. I mean, Howard Stern's no comedian. <laughs> I hate when people who don't do stand-up call themselves comedians. Right. That really rubs me the wrong way. 
or humorist also rubs me the wrong way. Oh yeah. So, what is it? Uh, what is a humorist? Uh, somebody who writes for McSweeney's. Right. Exactly. That's exactly right. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> a New Yorker, a New Yorker cartoon caption yeah. writer. Yes, John Hodgman about this because I feel like John Hodgman identifies as a humorist, but he goes on stage plenty. And he's very a humorist is a comedian who doesn't make you laugh. That's my big hot take. Ooh, okay. Well, uh, that would make a, a lot of the Edinburgh Fringe people <laughs> humorous. Fuck the Edinburgh Fringe. <laughs> oh yeah, you got also some... let's get the freaking clowns out of LA. Uh-huh. They're overrunning the scene. Yeah. Yeah, build a new city for them in the desert. They can have a clown <laughs> city out there. You want like a, a like a clown Burning Man city? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, what is it? Black Rock City is whatever. Yeah, let's get do. let's get a clown town going. <laughs> Everything is clown now. Yeah, well, I feel like a lot of places you perform, it's just like heavily clown. It's all clown. If you're not clown, you're not down. You're not well, down to clown. There's no, there's, I'll tell you this. There ain't no clowns at the store or the improv. Well, that's the other end of the extreme, which also sucks. There yeah. needs to be a happy medium where clowns and stand-ups can live in harmony with each other. Right. Well, we'll see with the return of UCB this summer. Oh, God. <laughs> you have any other parting shots before we end well, here? We have a minute 42 left on yeah, the Zoom. Yeah. So. yeah. Thanks so much for coming on, Max. This has been great. Oh, thank you for having me. I, I love you, and I thank you for all that you do for the scene. And absolutely, um, thanks for being so supportive. It's very sweet. Yeah, glad to be of service for good, funny folks. Uh, yeah. Where can people find me online? Uh, I know you didn't want to promote anything, but go yeah. ahead and promote Nick's album again. Yeah, you can find Nick's album, "The Pursuit of Comedy Has Ruined My Life." and google him um you can find me at max beasley on instagram and twitter at m-a-x-b-e-a-s-l-e-y-y i think there's three y's on twitter someone has the one y it isn't me right yeah book me on your shows i'd love to do them yeah whether it's a hippie crowd or a queer crowd or whatever it is have max on yep I'm Jay Kroger. I created the Comedy Bureau. You can find the Comedy Bureau at thecomedybureau.com, at the Comedy Bureau, across socials. So many good causes to support this time. Um, Planned Parenthood, per the wishes mm-hmm. of Nick Nemiroff's family, uh, would be a good place to start. But if you have money and generosity left over, please support the Comedy Bureau uh, so I can keep running it for, it's almost 12 years now. So 12 wow. years. Um, do you have anything to say as we sign off? Uh, peace and love. Peace and love. Yep. Comedy's still happening. Please support it. And as the great Bruce Stevens would say, enjoy it! The Comedy Bureau Field Report is recorded, produced, and edited by Jake Kroger. Music by Brian Grineo. Artwork by Andrew Delman and KT. And part of the Believe Podcast family. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.